There are days that define your story beyond your life. Welcome to 5-Minute Arrival. The podcast where we look at the film Arrival five minutes at a time. I'm Robert. I'm Sarah. Any questions? Where they want, where they're from, why they're here. This is a priority. Our priority today, and it's 96 to 100 of Arrival, which begin with Hannah finishing her question, I am unstoppable. And we have a guest, Austin Pryor of Malkovich Malkovich Minute Minute. You got it in one. <laughs> <laughs> I did have to look that up again. I couldn't remember the title. Uh, yeah, so my name is Austin. I'm, uh, yeah, I, I've yet to uh, release a single episode of Malkovich Malkovich Minute Minute, <laughs> but I have uh, I've recorded 10 episodes so far and it's all going nicely and I'm currently in the mire of editing. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a really enjoyable project and it has gotten me into the uh, Movies by Minute community and now I'm a guest on Five Minute Arrival. So fantastic. Yeah. So this is the zenith of my uh, podcasting career <laughs> now. I'm, I'm peaking early. Yes. Yeah. That's what you do. Peak right away and then no one expects anything from you anymore. <laughs> well, hi and welcome. Louise says yeah to her being, Anna being unstoppable and they hug and the camera lingers there and... Then we cut to Ian and Louise, and as Ian is catching her and says, I got you, she is a little out of it. She says, Louise, Louise. And she says, I just realized why my husband left me. My husband left me. They've been working together for like 37 days at this point, 38, I forget what the last count was. And he's like, you were married? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know this. You will be married? And, yeah. yeah. And let's get out of here. And he helps her into the truck. And we get a little uh, sequence of shots of the Montana shell, and there's helicopters flying around. We cut to, I believe it's the shell in the Sudan, because the news labels are in Arabic. They say live broadcast and breaking news. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Google Translate. <laughs> but the coordinates for the site should be more outside the city, and it's a very dry location, so I don't know where they're shooting this. The gas station doesn't have enough detail to figure it out, So, but it's not in Sudan. Mm. And that shell, just like the one in Montana, has moved horizontal and is very low. It's hitting the power lines. So people are freaking out. And in this case, justifiably, electricity is dangerous. <laughs> and then we cut to what I assume is the Siberia location because of the snow. That shell is also lowering and there's multiple tanks and some sort of missile launcher aiming at it. We get a shot of the shell off Shanghai. It's dark there, which these shots are correct for their light and dark because of time zones. Of course. Basically, sun just went down in Siberia, and is so it's just after sunset in Shanghai. And then we cut to, there's a gun on a ship turning toward it, and we cut to a helicopter rising in front of what I thought was another shell, but then I looked it up, and this is a CAIC-10. That's a Chang'e Aircraft Industries Corporation, so this is still China, or at least it's a Chinese helicopter. And then we cut to inside the helicopter, and this helicopter and a couple others are flying toward the shell. So this is like an active possible attack about to happen. Even more uh, of a war situation than I was thinking watching this before. I don't know why I didn't notice that. Hmm. These helicopters are going directly at the shell. And then we cut back to Hannah. Or, well, Louise. And the helicopter sounds fade, and Hannah says, Mama. Louise says, Yeah. And Hannah asks, Why is my name Hannah? And we cut, we cut back and forth here between Louise in the orange walkway at the base. And here's some other voices talking. And then Louise answers and says, well, your name is very special because it's, it is a palindrome. It reads the same forward and backward. And this scene ensures that everybody who maybe didn't know what's happening yet 
We'll know for sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This is the, the this is the active part. Yeah. Regarding palindromic names, I would like to say there are apparently I found a website that listed 139 across multiple wow. cultures and countries. Most of them three letters, I bet. Yes. Bob uh, and some interesting ones. <laughs> Fa Efe yeah. is West African means yeah. wealth. Ec Isi is Choctaw Native American means deer. Canuck is Sanskrit means gold. K-N-A-K. Oh. Murram, M-A-R-A-M, Arabic for wish. Noon is Arabic for sword blade. Pip, English for friend of horses. <laughs> and there's a variation of willow, which is spelled W-I-L-L-I-W. Oh. There's some more basic ones that people would know. Ada, Anna, Ava, L, Asa, Bob, Otto. But the more interesting thing than names was that I found. This is a Finnish word. Let me pronounce this correctly. Saipwa pivikalpius which is the longest palindrome word in everyday use. It is the name of a soap vendor in Finland. Okay, so it's like constructed as a palindrome, as a brand name, rather than... Yeah. I mean, it still counts. It's still a word, yeah. but it's not like, you know, it just didn't crop up naturally in language. But it is like 20 letters long, so that's pretty cool. That's impressive. I didn't go through the whole list of 139 names because that would take a long time. But if you Google it, you'll get, you can find them. We go back to the blue tent, and we are behind Louise as she's kind of walking calmly, and everyone else is packing quickly and running around. We see Ian walking along, too, hear a bunch of voices, and Halpern is in there telling people what to do. Cut in front of Louise as she leaves that tent, goes to the, her tent, because you can see her uh, isolation tent inside it is where she's directing. And she goes to the computer. We see a flash forward to her cutting open a box, and then her at the computer. There's chaos all around her, her opening up the box with bubble wrap, and taking out a book, The Universal Language by Dr. Louise Banks. Unfortunately, I couldn't read the back, so I don't know any of the bio they made up for her character. Or what the book... Lorem Ipsum. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. A lot of the text on props in this movie are unreadable, and it bothers me because I obsess. <laughs> back to her at the computer in the present, and then her in the book, and she opens it to the dedication, which says, To Hannah. And then Ian approaches in the present, says, hey, we're done here. We're taking this with us. And she closes her eyes so we can see, as Sarah said, this is the moment where we see what's really going on. She's yeah. thinking about this future moment to get stuff out of it, and she thinks ahead. So we go from the book turning to the title page, which has the logogram for time that is on all the lists that you can find, but it is not the one for time that was in the rest of the movie, annoyingly. <laughs> this one is actually never in the film other than here and not translated but we got a different one in minute 55 this is the we see the full title the universal language translating heptapod a handbook and then we see louise in the present she opens her eyes and scrolls through the logogram cloud on the computer to unfortunately repetition again just like i mentioned last time abbott heptapod louise has weapon with another abbott off to the side and then we see her in a classroom in the future teaching people heptapod mm -hmm. the logogram on the screen is the one that translates on the usual list as heptapod writes real time which this is the one that i wrote in minute 56 we don't actually know what it means and then we see louise in a different classroom with the class behind her and she's looking at the screen which if she doesn't have a microphone i would say this is really bad lecturing <laughs> and i don't see a microphone because she's got it's her back future, to the audience so the microphones are very discreet so <laughs> she has an somewhere. alien microphone yeah yeah there is a screen at the back of the room, though, which is interesting. So she really doesn't even have to face the front. She could just face the back. 
and she highlights part of that logogram and you know continues we don't hear any of what she's saying because it's just a quick flash in the present louise tells ian i can read it i know what it is and she stands up ian says what louise says it's not a weapon it's a gift we hear her start to talk to weber before we cut outside she says the weapon is their language they gave it all to us do you understand what that means and weber says so we can learn heptapod if we survive. Very pragmatic. He takes it very literally. Yeah. <laughs> but the overall theme here, which is kind of cliche, is that the ability to communicate is the gift. And the question is, if the communication is how we're shifting or perceiving time, being able to see around corners, is that ultimately good or not? If we could all do it, it's good. Mm. If only certain people have access to it then it's problematic. Are we looking at a dystopia where the, you know, all the linguistic scholars and all the people who are, you know, neurotypically attuned to or or, or predisposed to this kind of learning are able to just unlock this secret and the the rest of it. So it creates a two-tier society. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. the language is already institutionalized in the sense that we see with her book and her teaching, there's like this focus on individual success that she gains from learning this language. And it's being gatekeeped in this university setting. So only people who have access to that type of learning are learning it. So yeah. And then (laughs) Americans are going to be screwed because we don't learn second languages (laughs) on a regular basis until we have to. The ones at elite universities. Well, that's what I mean. Until you're at school, like college, they make you. And then if you're at a good university, you'll do it really well. Or if you go to a good school. But Americans buy self-help books, I think, <laughs> uh, you know, ahead of anybody Heptopod else. Have to pod B and for dummies. Yeah. <laughs> well, or, or if it's if this is like the secret, because this book is has far greater potential to change your brain and your perception of yourself and your life mm. than any other self-help book. Yeah. Plus, if you start learning it, if you will ever learn it, you're given a helping hand by your future self as it starts to work. Yeah. The harder you work, the faster your learning accelerates. So if you're in any way adept at it, maybe it's not that hard to learn. Maybe you don't need to go to college. Maybe your, you know, your future memories start bleeding in early, you know, reasonably early into the, let's say halfway through the book. And then the pace of learning really flies because there's a there's a little bit of a fudge here in the movie, which I don't mind at all from a you know storytelling point of view. But for for our purposes of breaking everything down and destroying the film, uh, it works perfectly, <laughs> which is that she's getting these cognitive memories from the future. She's mm-hmm. experiencing memories from the future uh, as if they're memories from the past. Yeah. And that's obviously a device in terms of the storytelling and the and the fake out that is now now being revealed in these minutes but also it seems to be what's actually happening and the, the story seems to be committing to this idea that the visions of her future are something that she's experiencing subjectively in much the same way as you experience cognitive memory yeah but language is a very different type of memory when i remember the word for horse when i recognize a horse and know the word for horse i'm not remembering that time i learned the word horse as a little baby you know true so She's not accessing these memories when she accesses the language. She's accessing a body of knowledge that she will have in the future, which maybe that is allowed because it unlocks your future self. It unlocks everything you will ever know. But it does seem to create a bit of a problem Mm. for the story. That's if we assume we understand how it works. Mm. Because the presentation Mm -hmm. doesn't 
it can't differentiate because it's visual. Yeah. We're seeing her future memories the same way we would see past memories in a movie. And mm-hmm. so we assume the process is similar. And the way she describes it in the original story, it is similar. And in the original story, does her knowledge come back in that way? Come like backwards in time to her present moment? Not as explicitly because the story is told in pieces. So she'll tell a part of the future, tell a part of the past. And it just kind of, okay. you, you get the sense of it as it goes because it blends together. Okay. Because it's prose. It's a different medium. Mm-hmm. And if you learned this skill, you would also need to learn some coping mechanisms for it. Because oh, think yeah. about mm. experiencing everything that you've ever experienced, even on some level. Like, it, time isn't linear. So every pain you've ever had, you're experiencing at the same time. Every joy you've ever had, you've exper- you're experiencing at the same time. Like, there could be a good reason it why, would, as it would humans, be, we experience things later. It would be especially horrible yeah. if something bad is going to happen to you soon. Mm. Because that memory would be fresh. Like, and you uh, might not want to keep learning. <laughs> like Costello... When he's, when he, you know, he's, he's getting jittery before the bomb. Hmm. Or is it Abbott? Abbott, Abbott's one that dies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you find out something far in your future, it'd be like something far in your past. It might not be as painful or Hmm. as sharp. But if you find out, like, your parents are going to die next week in a car accident, you're like, yeah, I don't want to keep reading this. Mm. Yeah. And I know the moral is like, you know, that if you choose love, if you choose a relationship, if you choose, for example, to have a child, if you choose to take a risk at something that it can go horribly wrong. And the idea is that even having that as a potential outcome, maybe not a known outcome, that you do that anyway, so that you live because the experience of having that love for a short time is better than not having it at all or being a parent for yeah. the shorter is better than not being a parent at all. It reminds me of another couple who had foreknowledge of how their relationship was going to break down. And that'd be Joel and Clementine. Oh, yeah. Uh, of Eternal, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind because they're... Um, you know, the last scene of the movie, uh, spoilers for a, you know, 12 year old movie or whatever. <laughs> the, uh, you know, I'll get bored and, and you'll get clingy or whatever it is. Okay. Really? I'm not a concept, Joel. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. I'm not perfect. I can't see anything that I don't like about you. But you right will. Right now I can't. But you will. You know, you will think of things. And I'll get bored with you and feel trapped because that's what happens with me. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. That's what I do and that's what you do. And and Joel just kind of says, okay. Yeah. And they just realize that they're going to go and do it. It's a very different kind of foreknowledge. And uh, hopefully they can work on their relationship and they won't make all exactly the same mistakes this time. But uh, yeah. the movie certainly just allows us to kind of sit with that and say, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to take the rough with the smooth. And the, and the movie leaves it open so that there's a chance they could do it better this time. Unlike the script where mm. they've been doing it badly over and over and over and just yes, keep erasing yes. each other. <laughs> And I forgot about that. I, I read it. I read the script years ago. Yeah. And that would be the difference in Eternal Sunshine. There's that potential. There's that hope that things mm-hmm. could go differently. But in this case, is it a good thing? Because you already know how it's going to go. You already know mm. how it's going to end. And you're choosing to do it anyway. So there's yeah. not really like a hope component 
there's not like a we can do this better component. It's here's everything that ever existed and currently exists. And this is the way that it exists. Now choose it or not. Maybe it's just like. Well, there's no or not. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. you there is. You could always, I mean, not to be super graphic, you can always choose to not continue living your life. There's always an out. Player exit. But yeah, but technically I guess, under this system, you couldn't, though, unless that was what you knew was going to happen. Yeah, you would know <laughs> yeah. that that would be the day you would die in advance. But maybe it's just like other steps up the hierarchy of needs where, to put it glibly, more money, more problems. <laughs> so that that like it's when you get up to the next level, your your problems become different. Your life is generally easier. You're not scrounging for you know the basics you have your your shelter and your food and you you're not worried about where the next meal is coming from but your life is also more complex so other more kind of um uh, cognitively complicated issues are now your main issues that you're dealing with oh excuse me <laughs> my phone went off so this is a step of the ladder that humanity haven't taken before and your problems get more complicated, but maybe with enough self-actualization or Maslow's top level after that that people don't talk about as much is self-transcendence, which uh, wasn't as useful for teaching marketing and stuff like that. So it, it isn't used, but Maslow did talk about it. So that if you can still reach that level with this new tool, but that your problems on the way are going to get more more complex. Yeah, that, that's just me trying to uh, be academic well, because it, uh, you guys we, are so keep, academic oh, on no. this podcast. <laughs> no, <laughs> we keep talking about it as like individual level too. I was just thinking, like, how does this change at workspaces or religious environments? Oh, yeah, like, I mean, it's huge. It's going to transform entire organizational structures. Because do you need like meditation coaches if now you're have a completely new understanding of your place in the universe or in time or do you need more of them because it's hard to deal uh, with yeah them. yeah and i would be like i'm only going to go to a meditation coach who can speak heptapod b because like if you can't what are you doing yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> like if you don't have that level because it is in a way it's a form of enlightenment mm. but it could go the opposite you know what i mean it, yeah, I, I did have in my notes for this segment a few sentences from the original story where she says knowledge of the future was incompatible with free will mm. what made it possible for me to exercise freedom of choice also made it impossible for me to know the future mm. conversely now that i know the future i would never act contrary to that future including telling others what i know those who know the future don't talk about it those who read the book of ages never admit to it wow which is an interesting tone sort of since the big problem she has in the future is that she tells ian or tells gary in the story and he leaves mm. her because he doesn't want to do he can't deal with that he doesn't understand the language like she does i wonder if you'd have these factions of people too like those in society who choose to embrace it. this way yeah. of thinking and those who choose to reject it and like the next generation is like no we're not going through all that we're done. They burn all the Epitopod B books. Yeah. And then it's like you're on Bumble or whatever dating site and you're like, no, Heptopod. <laughs> Choose not to know. Yeah. Seeking other Heptopod minded. <laughs> well, the ones who read it, who know Heptopod B would know not to go out with you because they know how that date's already going to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they knew that they did go out with yeah. you. Yeah. They know they're going to go out with you and it's going to go horribly, yeah. but they have to do it anyway <laughs> so that they can have that experience. I think that is most dates now. <laughs> Like, this is sucks, but this date will be awful. Do yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, okay, pal. Let's get something straight. 
I don't want to go out with you. And I'm just doing this as a favor to my dad, right? Now, Joanne, I know you're happy to be right. with me, so we can just go out and have a so great... So let's make it a whole lot easier on ourselves, shall we? Now, first we would have got a dinner that's ten bucks a piece. Unless you're a cheapskate. But I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. Thanks. I would have ordered double desserts. That's $22 altogether. Tax and tip, 25 Making it a grand total of... $26.37, half of which is approximately $13.67. Now, why don't you just give me that $13.67 and we'll call it a night. Did you take checks? Oh, sure. Going on then, Louise tells Weber, if you learn it, when you really learn it, you begin to perceive time the way that they do. So you can see what's to come. But time, it isn't the same for them. It's nonlinear. Weber, whether he's listening or not, says, look, we did our best, but it wasn't enough. <laughs> the captain will load you up. You're lifting off in five minutes. Ian and Louise, it was an honor to work with you. Good luck. And he walks away. Weber's out. Weber is yeah. like, yeah. Weber's like, I- I'm not, uh, if this is going sci-fi, I'm not there. You know what I mean? <laughs> I- 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 uh, yeah, this this is too highfalutin. Well, yeah, it was we, just aliens. We saw that I he was didn't okay. go in the room with the aliens starting like with their after their first session. He was never in there again. Interesting. Yeah. He just watched on the computers. <laughs> He's been staying a step back the whole time. This brings me to the, one of the, the threads you've been talking about in previous episodes is kind of the tropes of alien invasion movies mm-hmm. and how they're how they're played out here. The first time I heard somebody say that, I, I kind of, uh, you know, reacted to it a bit. I was like, no, no, this isn't like the. And then, you know, all the tropes were kind of laid out and pointed out. I am a little genre blind. You know, I, I get so involved in the world of a movie that I don't really kind of see the strings. <laughs> and I, I don't kind of really think in, in genre terms until I'm, you know, breaking things down one minute at a time, for yeah. example. But I do think this movie does a good job of masking the genre because the kind of mise-en-scene and the the very kind of handsome, deliberate, poetic filmmaking, all the visual uh, presentation puts you in a different mental space and with a different set of expectations. So you're not kind of drawn into the genre. It's not doing all of the kind of Roland Emmerich beats and, and, and you know, bringing you along on this story. It's much more kind of fancy and French Canadian. Yeah. But for me, that's kind of, that's one step of masking the genre. And the other is that while it uses these same archetypes of the CIA guy who is concerned with national security over all else and the military guy who has a chain of command to deal with and who is like you know the military guy in the in the tradition of these movies would be the blow them to kingdom come and ask questions later kind of yeah and so what what this movie does rather than making these straw men it it kind of gives them steel man you know makes them steel men and, and really bolsters their points of view so that as an audience member i'm kind of like well, he's kind of got a point. Mm-hmm. Rather than we love to hate these, like, boo, they're getting in the way of the heroes doing their job. We're meant to hate them. You know, it's it's like the, the even the CIA guy, you said in a previous episode, Robert, that uh, the problem isn't that he's thinking like this. The problem is that it's that he, he's got the power to act on yeah. his perception of it. And so when I watch this, even though I don't agree with him, I'm kind of like, well, I'm glad somebody's thinking that way. Yeah, someone needs to say these things. Exactly. And the same with practicalities brought up by Forrest Whitaker's character. So to me, that does enough 
to throw me off the scent of the genre and I'm going with it and thinking this is a high-minded drama you know <laughs> but I suppose the kind of gold standard in my mind for films that work that way that show you conflict without making comic book bad guys is Princess Mononoke, the Ghibli Miyazaki film, mm, which is yeah. a, a, an amazing study in like multilateral vested interests all competing and, and awful chaos and awful evil things are done. There's no Machiavellian mastermind behind it. It's just chaos caused by people thoughtlessly pursuing their own goals. This film isn't at that level of that, but it's got a little pinch of that. You know what I mean? It's it's like we're giving the perspective of these antagonists enough credence, more credence than they would usually be given in this genre. Yeah. And in a way, they're barely even antagonists. They're, they're, I mean, there's no villain in this film. Yeah. Yeah. The people have their different perspectives and the people with power can be dangerous because they can do things like Shang. Mm -hmm. But Louise has her own weapon as the... Heptapods uh -huh. have told us yeah. and told her. She just has to figure out how to use it, which she's about to. And it's a great line here because we get Ian saying, hey, Colonel, and he can't get Weber. So he turns to go find someone, says, I'm going to find out where we're going. And we get a very on-the-nose line from Hannah when we get a shot of Louise in bed and it's blurry. And Hannah says, wake up, Mommy. Mm. And so she's basically telling Louise, or the movie is, telling Louise, wake up and do something. Because you're the only one who can. Mm. That's when we cut forward. 18 months, we'll find out from the dialogue, to a gala of some sort. The filming location is the Salle Wilfrid Pelletier at the Place des Arts in Montreal, named for Joseph Louise Wilfrid Pelletier, the Montreal Symphony Orchestra's first artistic director and conductor from 1935 to 41. On the wall, we see flags from countries US, China, Denmark, Japan, something we can't see because Louise is in the way, and then there's a larger flag with the logogram for Earth in the center of this line of flags. I, I didn't know it was a logogram for Earth, but I got a real chill when I see that uh, logogram flag. I it kind of, I assumed it meant heptapod, and that would seem more appropriate because it's in among the flags of the Earth. But just seeing it there gave a really nice sense of reality to the whole thing and because we're pushing forward in the timeline to a part of the timeline we wouldn't normally see in this type of movie it just i just love that the, the kind of world building mm -hmm. of it to see that flag i'm a bit disappointed that it says earth though <laughs> it's it should say their planet or it should say their species you know well earth earth is although it's also sideways but oh. <laughs> logograms could be read in any direction. That's the, that's the point. Of course. But it being Earth, it feels like this is like, I don't know what event this is supposed to be, but this is maybe what the UN has adopted or some new organization that's replaced the UN. Mm -hmm. And so they've chosen this as the symbol for all of Earth in some united form where they can hang out and talk. Yeah. Including the general who almost set us all to war. <laughs> so then Louise turns to Shang Tsung, Dr. Banks. A pleasure. And she says, General Shang, the pleasure is mine, really. He says, your president said he was honored to host me at the celebration. Yeah, but I confess the only reason why I'm here is to meet you in person. Me? Well, I'm flattered. Thank you. And Shang says, now 18 months ago, you did something remarkable, something not even my superior has done. Louise says, and what's that? And Shang gets cut off before he gets to say anything, so we don't The know. end was such a we nice don't cliffhanger. <laughs> we'll find out next week. Yeah, this scene is fascinating on subsequent viewing because... Why doesn't she know? <laughs> like, she's having the Louise in the future 
time frame seems to be having difficulty getting her memories from the past yeah rather than the future it's i guess the whole thing just becomes confusing <laughs> like it, it it's working dramatically that's that's why it's there but it's odd when you think about it it's it's like if you had to think of a conversation you had with someone 18 months ago and you could only think of it in chronological order and hear the whole conversation. You couldn't remember, like, how did it end? You had to go yeah. through it to yeah, remember it. Weird. It's very strange. Which is how she's remembering this. But I guess since she's new to this, that's the only way she can do it. Plus, it's the only way they can present it to us. Yeah. Is it a little bit of artistic license where this is not how that conversation will actually play out? This is the Louise that we see in the gala event is actually just a representation of what Louise is thinking in that moment. And that when that gala event will actually happen, the words will maybe be the same, but she won't have like a puzzled look on her face. She'll be going like, oh, me? You know, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I think it's the puzzled look that's the problem there. Yeah. Because saying, and what's that, could just be her being polite. Exactly. And or even coy, playfully, because we both have this knowledge that this is what we're going to say, you know, and this is how this conversation will go. Is that just a minor movie error? Yeah. Either a directing (laughs) or acting choice. Yeah, I think it's a license more than an error. I'm sure they meant to do it that way. You know what I mean? Right. Because we, if if we're taking everything literally, as it were, this scene should be exactly what's going to happen. It should. Because yeah. that's how it works. Yeah. But I think, in a sense, we're seeing her reacting in the present, even though she's in the scene in the future. Yeah. Yeah. We almost could have cut I away to, so. like, her in the present looking confused because she doesn't remember this yet. Yeah. Or, I mean, a cheesy a cheesy way to do it would be to have her present self standing invisibly in the room yeah scrooge style or like reverse shot is him at the gala her in the present yeah having this conversation yeah yeah that would actually work because then the vision wouldn't be as cheesy as my one might be confusing because she's out in a field a bunch of people and they'd be like who's she talking to but yeah yeah that's why it's it's hard to present this because it's an unusual situation Hmm. my rule is it hey if i didn't notice it on my first viewing you know it's all just fun after that (laughs) (laughs) that's good policy yeah so then the segment is over. Anything else on the segment or the movie as a whole? Yeah, I had a couple of notes here. This just overall, these minutes are great minutes because this is the inflection point. This is when the puzzle aspect is unfolding yeah. and the movie does that kind of trick of spoon feeding you, but making you think you're figuring it all out and you're being really clever. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's the same. It's, it's, it's what a good puzzle game does or a good whodunit novel does. It absolutely holds your hand. And when you watch it again, you're just like, oh, yeah, this is just all laid out for me. Mm-hmm. But when I first saw it, I was like, I'm a genius <laughs> unlocking this secret. This is amazing. And uh, I love that feeling. And I know, you know, it's like a magic trick. You know you're being tricked. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you go with it. And this movie is a big kind of... Um, my wife and I really enjoy watching it together and she was really jealous when she could hear me watching it while she was, you know, doing boring office work. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we love the kind of puzzle aspects of this. And yeah, just having these moments play out with moments of pathos mixed in with the kind of brain tickling is is what's really special about how it's executed in this movie because you've got this wonderful child actor who maybe it's just my you know now that I'm a dad my dad hormones talking about she's the best little girl she's amazing (laughs) because but I just really think she she does a, a, a fantastic job and the conversation that in in the moments just before our minute starts is is so 
painful but so beautiful that like she's she's telling her daughter she's telling Hannah what's going on without telling her what's going on yeah. and so my emotional state at the beginning of this minute is like just so primed for this revelation and just the 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 delicate balance of the 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 beats of this drama about a family and the beats of this kind of intellectual puzzle that the sci-fi aspect is just just beautifully executed in these five minutes so if the listeners want to hear more from you where will they be able to do so and when well, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, my schedule is to start on the 31st of May. And now I've said that on a podcast, so I'm <laughs> going to be held to it. Yeah. So if you want to go to MalkovichMinute.net, I didn't make people type in Malkovich twice and Minute twice for the <laughs> URL. But if you want to go to MalkovichMinute.net and just get yourself on the uh, mailing list, you'll be, you'll be informed of when it comes out. There's just a contact form there. And if by the time you hear this, if there is a, a, a feed to be subscribed to, you'll find it there as well. And if you want to hear us talk about some other Charlie Kaufman stuff, we discussed uh, Synecdoche, New York on Cock and Bull Minute. Mm. That show's over now, but those episodes are out there. It was, what, four episodes conversation? Yeah, that was a nice long conversation. And we talked about uh, thinking I'm thinking of ending, of ending things. things. Yeah. And we, or at least me, I don't know if you're going to be a regular co-host, but we'll be doing Eternal Sunshine starting later this year i just got demoted and i didn't know <laughs> just <kidding>. no <laughs> he's giving you an, an out he's giving you yeah, the choice giving you the kidding. option nice. of not having to be in every episode thank you you, <laughs> you you have first refusal yeah <laughs> yeah charlie kaufman is one of my favorites so looking forward to malkovich minute as well i'm uh yeah very looking forward to uh, very much looking forward to to sinking my teeth into future installments as well and i think my plan is to do being John Malkovich and adaptation at least and those two films lock together in a really gratifying way so you couldn't do one without the other and as for what film I would do after that I don't know or I might do some other kind of podcast altogether but that's you know if if it's kind of a finish what you started in the kind of the rules from from the makers <laughs> Pete and Alex you know yeah. then I would see being John Malkovich and adaptation as the uh, the duology that mm. needs to be kind of complete, you know. Yeah. Which obviously narratively they're not, they're, no. but but there's so many interesting links between the two that I kind of think they're companion pieces, you know. And you, and you didn't call your show like Kaufman Minute, so you don't have to do all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought about broadening it, but then. I just giggled so much when I thought of Malkovich, Malkovich, Minute, Minute, and how <laughs> stupid it is and how, how much it matches the kind of tone of it. I was like, I can't resist that. Yeah, that just happened. Thank you for listening. Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 5 Minute Arrival. Or go to lemmingdrops.com for links. to think this was the beginning of your story.